When I'm down here, it really isn't comfortable for some of you. It's like, can you go back up there where you belong? Can you not? I'm going to ask for some responses in a minute. All right? And they're, they're going to be spontaneous, and it won't be hard, and it's not a quiz, so I'm setting it up. I want to set it up. I find it amazing how a simple four-word evaluation can make a world of difference. Let me tell you a story. Years ago, I'm standing in the auditorium of our church that we were in in Indiana. We had been there for a while. To, in fact, we'd been there long enough now that we were seeing kids you know, come all the way through our youth group and graduate and go off to college. And, and so one day I'm standing there. I noticed one of our ladies walk in, and, and I noticed that she walked in with a, a young man. And uh, I recognized him. I, I'm pretty sure I recognized him. We had been taking kids to, to camp for years up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And, and I remember him being one of the staff workers. And, and this young lady had taken her summer and actually been at the camp. And so they come walking in together. I wanted to confirm. So I walked up to her mom. And I said, is your daughter with? And I named his name. And she said, yes. And I simply replied this. He's a good man. Four simple words. He's a good man. When you hear that phrase, whether it's he's a good man or she's a good woman, when you hear that phrase about someone, regardless of their gender, what do you hear? What do you understand that phrase to mean? This is where you get to respond. What's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear he's a good man, she's a good woman? Yes. A person with good character, a person who's kind, generous. What else? What, else? what do you hear? Honest. Somebody else. I thought I saw another hand. Yes. Integrity. Faithful. Yes. Not deceptive. Respectful. Wow. Four simple words. She responded when I said that, do you really think so? And I said, yes, I do. And I confirmed with her what I had seen at camp over those years when we were watching staff at work. I confirmed that with her. And you know what? A few years later, Charlene and I got to do their premarital counseling. And, uh, you know, and it was just amazing to be able to do that. When I thought about the sixth characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit, that was the story that came to my mind. A story almost 30 years old now. How a simple evaluation that someone was good was enough to cause a future mother-in-law to have peace and affirmation in her own heart. Do you know people want to be known for being good? People want to be known for being good. When, when something happens, someone will sometimes say, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. We want to be good people. We are touched by stories and news of people who do good things. The concept of goodness naturally brings a smile to one's face. 
Join me this morning in rehearsing the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit as we together read Galatians 5, 22, and 23 from the International Children's Bible. It's right here behind you, behind me, together. But the fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit gives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that says these things are wrong. We want to be known as good. We want goodness to be part of who we are. I want to consider goodness this morning. And I want you to know this. Goodness is the reality of God's grace in our lives. You see, in and of ourselves, we are not prone to this kind of goodness. Uh, we are not prone to the kind of goodness that we're going to develop today. In a very stunning passage, one that we saw months ago in Romans chapter 3, Paul, who wrote to the Galatian church, wrote these words to the Roman church. He wrote, there is none righteous. There's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Reflecting on that passage and on God still calling us to do good, Theologian Dr. Scott McKnight reminds us of this. He says, we are not good in and of ourselves. We cannot manufacture our own goodness. Doing good and being good are possible only by God's empowering grace. Goodness is the reality of God's grace in our lives. You see, without God's grace in our lives, we can get confused. We can get confused regarding what's good and what isn't good, what's, what's good and what's bad. And, and if you'll recall, at the very beginning, go all the way back to Genesis 2 and verse 17, at the very beginning, understanding that our good, our understanding of goodness and our understanding of what isn't good, God understanding that knew that we were limited, we were bound to him. We needed to depend on him. And, and, and you know, think about how many times you and I have made plans thinking, this is a good plan. This is a good direction. This is going to be great. And then it turns out to be a bad plan. And it turns out that it wasn't right. And it turns out it wasn't smart. I, I can't discern the future. How can I discern between good and evil? So God set a boundary in Genesis 2.17. And he told the, the, the inhabitants of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, the, you can eat from every tree in the garden every tree in the garden. That included the tree of life. Because Adam and Eve were not created to be eternal creatures. They were finite, and they needed the tree of life to keep that longevity going. But, God said, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. For if you eat that, you will surely die. And that's because God knew that as finite human beings created with the ability to choose, we were not created independently of God. 
And we depend on God to help us discern what is good and what is not because we can get those things confused. The word that is translated goodness in Galatians 5.22 is from a root word that focuses on things such as excellence, a state of well-being, morality, and even generosity. Some of the same things that you said when you hear someone is a good person, those are the words that come out. Those are the characteristics of the word goodness. There's a parallel word in the Old Testament, and, and uh, it's, it's the word tov, T-O-V. The book I just quoted from Dr. McKnight is a book entitled A Church Called Tov, T-O-V, and it's his response to some of the things that happened several years ago locally with pastors failing and all and saying, here's how you create a church that is a, a good church, a tov church. I would encourage you to read it sometime. I would loan it to you, but it's on my Kindle, and I just don't hand that out. But the parallel word talks about God being the highest good because goodness is the reality of God's grace in our lives. And we have to, therefore, begin with God because if goodness is the reality of God's grace in our lives, then the first thing, the second thing I want you to remember today is that only God is truly good in his character. Only God is truly good in his character. There's a story in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Mark. It's recorded in Luke. It's a story of a wealthy young man who comes running up to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, and, he, and in fact, a couple of the Gospels say he, he fell on his knees before Jesus. We're told that he was wealthy. And he said, Master, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the words here in Mark say it this way. As Jesus started on his way, a man came running up to him, and he fell on, ran, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, we could go on about the story. Jesus told him, you know, do you, you need, here's the commandments. And by giving a few of them, he's saying, obey them all. And the guy says, I've kept them all since I was a child. And, and Jesus said, okay, then you have one more thing to do. Sell everything. Sell everything you have and don't invest it. Don't put it in a 401k. Don't put it in a CD. Don't put it in a savings account. Take all of that and give it away to the poor to where you have absolutely nothing and then come follow me. The Bible says the young man walked away because he was a very wealthy. And, and, and I love the very end of that. It says Jesus had compassion on him. You see, Jesus wanted him to know following me is an all-in commitment. But to our point, Jesus, I think, is saying two things by that question. Why do you call me good? First, he's reminding him only God is good in his character. That's the point that he makes. But secondly, if you and I are truly equating God with good, if we're truly equating Jesus as a good teacher with God, which this man was, then he needed to listen and obey. God is... Only God is good in his character. 
in this series, we have found ourselves going back several times to God's description of himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. But I found it interesting in reading the fuller context of that, that God says something different to Moses when he's setting this whole thing up. Because Moses said, I want to see you, I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory, you'll die. And and then finally God says, okay, I'm going to hide you in a rock, I'm going to pass by. But look at what he says in Exodus 33, 19, as he's setting that up. He says this, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness. Use our Hebrew word, all all of my toveness. All of my goodness, the goodness in my character, I'm going to cause it to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. But God said, Moses, when I walk before you, I'm going to cause my goodness. Because only God is good in his character. The very person of God is wrapped up in his goodness. It's commensurate with who he is. You see, we have to learn goodness. We have to learn to pursue God. We have to learn to understand what goodness is. And and we have to learn to accept his grace in our lives so that we can discern what is really good and what isn't. In fact, as Charlene and I were talking about this, you can pray for my wife. She gets to hear the sermons like, three or four times during the week and things I'm learning and all. But we were talking about this, and she goes, remember where we picked it up somewhere, but she says, remember we always told our kids, our enemy, the devil, is smart. And he's not going to get you between something that's good and something that's really, 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 really bad. Your challenge is going to be to learn to discern what is good and what is God's best. Because there are some good things, but they might not be the best thing God wants you to have. And that's where that confusion comes in. So if God and God alone is only good in his character, then it also stands to reason that we derive our goodness from God. We derive our goodness from God. We just read Psalm 23. I want to encourage you sometime to take Psalm 23. And it's another one of those passages that if you went through certain programs, you probably memorized, and that's not bad. But don't let the familiarity of it cause you to miss what God is saying to us through the psalmist. In fact, I would recommend, for those of you who are readers, a book by the late Dallas Willard. It's a book entitled, Life Without Lack, Living in the Fullness of Psalm 23. Life Without Lack, Living in the Fullness of Psalm 23. I found myself, upon reading that book, spending days just rehearsing, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, that has impacted me in ways I can't imagine. But I want you to look at the last verse. I have it here behind me. 
and I've translated it from, for myself. Surely your goodness, surely your goodness, it's God's goodness, and your loving kindness, that faithfulness, that covenant love, that's, that's a word that flows through the Psalms, that, that loving kindness, covenant love, God's love that is not bound by my behavior, that God, that love that comes out of God because of who he is, will pursue me all the days of my life. We derive our goodness from God because we have a God who pursues us with divine love. God's goodness is active. God's goodness is is part of his grace. It's part of his covenant love, his covenant loyalty to those who follow him. The New Testament reminds us time and again that Jesus went about doing good. And when you think about the good of Jesus, it wasn't just the miracles and the healing. That was great. That was good. But Jesus took time with people. One of my favorite stories is in Mark 5, where Jairus, he gets mentioned. When your name is mentioned, you're somebody. And Jairus got mentioned. He came to Jesus. His his daughter was dying. He wanted Jesus to come. Jairus was a synagogue ruler. He was the guy that set the service up for the synagogue. He chose who did the reading. He was important in the community. And he comes to Jesus, and they're walking down the road. And and Mark, in some detail that he doesn't always go into, tells us there was this woman. She had been hemorrhaging. She had been bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered at the hands of the doctors. Some of you know that. Sometimes it feels like medical practice is practice. And, and, and she had struggled. And, she, and, and, and so she lived in a ceremonially unclean state. She couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple. And she thought, if I just grab the hem of his garment... He'll heal me. That means she got down, I believe, and and snuck through the crowd. She didn't want anybody to see her. And she reached and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And immediately she knew she was healed. And Jesus stops. And Jesus stops. And poor Jairus is like, we got to go. We got to move. And Jesus says, somebody touched me. And the disciples go, okay, Lord, you know what? There, there are people all over here. I mean, this is like walking downtown Chicago in the middle of rush hour walking traffic. You know, you're just bumped from all sides. And, 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 and he says, no, power went from me. And she finally comes up. She falls on her face. Jesus took time with her. That's goodness. That's doing good. And he didn't just take time with her. I can see him reaching down and grabbing her in the chin and having a look at him. And then raising her up so she can see him eye to eye. And then he says, daughter. A tender word of compassion. Daughter, your faith has healed you. That's our God. That's goodness. That's a goodness, and, and, and we derive that from God. I, I, I want to 
I, I want you to look at Second Peter or First Peter two sixteen and seventeen. But as I was thinking about it this morning, I want you to hear the run up to two sixteen and seventeen. Uh, Peter chapter 2, I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. So this is quite a read here. Peter says, Dear friends, and remember the people to whom Peter was writing were suffering for their faith. He, he writes to them as the ones scattered about. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, you don't belong here, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Look at ver- listen to verse 12. Live such good, that's our word, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I'll jump down to verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Well, how do I do good, Peter? Here's our verses. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't get confused between the knowledge of good and evil. Don't use your freedom. Don't use what you think is good as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, as God's servants, putting him first. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. What does goodness look like? When we come back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, what does goodness look like? Well, if we're going to see what goodness looks like, we ought to take a minute to see what goodness isn't. And if you'll notice, Ephesians 5.22 starts with a, a contraction, but, there's the contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit. We'll just take it, back it up two verses to verse, or three verses to verse 19. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, and orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a resistant fruit. It resists that which is out there that is against God. What does goodness look like? Goodness looks like the opposite of Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16 and going all the way through 21. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of the acts of the flesh. Goodness is the opposite of those things that are considered immoral and evil because there is a godly moral aspect to goodness, and we can't resist all that on our own. We need God's help to resist. Goodness is reflected in a God-centered morality, not a self-centered existence. Not only that, goodness is humbly and purposefully active. This is the goodness we derive from God. In another very familiar verse, last week I quoted Ephesians 2, 8, 9, kind of rapidly I recall, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Note this. For we, those of us who's received God's grace, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before you knew Christ, Christ knew you. Before you knew what God wanted you to do, God had already planned things for you to do. We are God's handiwork. He created us. The word handiwork is the Greek word from which we get our word, poem. We are God's poem. If you've ever made something out of wood, if you've ever crocheted something, if you've ever painted or quilted or done pottery or photography, you've produced handiwork. If you've ever written a poem or written a short story, if you've ever written an an encouraging email to someone, if you've ever written the lyrics to a song, you've produced handiwork. You and I are God's poem. I've had the privilege to know a few poets. Poets don't just whip out stuff, you know, roses red, violets are blue, sugar sweet, so are you. You know, that's, that's, that's a nice little rhyme. But a real poet thinks about each word, thinks about the word that would give the best description. How many of you thought of Carl Sandburg this past week as you drove in the fog? The fog comes on little cat feet, watches city and harbor on silent haunches, and moves on. What a great description of fog! Carl Sandburg thought through fog and created imagery. You are God's poem. He thought about you. And, and you did not create yourself. You are created. That should humble you. But notice, you are created with a purpose. You and I are to be humbly and purposefully active in the goodness that God gives us. To to be active, but we're active from a standpoint of humility. I I didn't give myself the gifts. Uh, You know what? I've told people my very first speech, eighth grade, Salina Middle School, uh, Mr. Anderson's English class, the stage was about this tall because Mr. Anderson was about this tall. And, And the first thing he taught me was, When you give any sort of a speech, know when to say amen and shut up and sit down. Boy, that sticks with me. I stood there to give my first speech. I had note cards in my hand. I could not read them because my hand was literally shaking. I learned how to speak in public. I did not know that God had created me to do something before I thought I was ever good at it. We have to develop 
We should be humble. God created us with a purpose to be active, to do good works that God prepared for us in advance. You are uniquely prepared and enabled by God to do good things, to benefit others, to bring glory to God. And it's all derived from God. Now, in Galatians 5.22... The form of the word that's translated goodness is a word that literally means generous. And so I want you to remember a final thing this morning. Goodness is graciously generous. Goodness is graciously generous. No one is more generous than our God. Complete this phrase. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. And what did he give? His only son. What an amazing God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thank God for his indescribable gift. James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. From the Father of heavenly lights, James 1.17. Following God's example, if we derive our goodness from God, if goodness is part of the grace of God, God's grace in our lives, then we are going to be people who are graciously generous as well. Tony Bennett is the head coach for the University of Virginia Cavaliers a NCAA Division I, which is the highest division basketball team. And Tony Bennett is a follower of Jesus. On March 16th, 2018, the University of Virginia Cavaliers made history. Not the kind of history you want to make, but they did make history. That was the first day uh, of the NCAA tournament the big March Madness that you hear about. That was the first day. And the way it happens is they have four regions, and in those regions there are 16 teams, and the best teams get the number one seeds, and then the, that goes all the way down to where you get these guys, that have, these teams that have 16 seeds, and they just kind of barely make it in. And on that day, the 16th seed was the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. The Retrievers. So the Retrievers are seated 16 in the bracket, lowest rank. They're going up against the University of Virginia, the Cavaliers, not only ranked first seed in their region, they were number one in the country. Everybody knew that UVA was going to win the tournament that year. And that game took off, and when it was done, history had been made. Never before in the NCAA had a 16 seed defeated a first seed until March, 26, March 16th, 2018, and the retrievers from the University of, Bar- of, of Baltimore, Maryland campus, University of Maryland, Baltimore campus, defeated the powerhouse UVA Cavaliers 74 to 54. That had never happened. Tony Bennett took his team off the floor, and for the next year they regrouped. And they worked hard, and they practiced hard, and they came back into the 2019 tournament, ranked number one again. And that year, they won the whole kit and caboodle. Following that, 
the University of Virginia offered Coach Bennett a contract extension with a very significant raise. Now, you got to understand, these guys that are top-level coaches make seven figures a year, and that's on the other side of the, the, the correct side of the decimal point. They make millions. Coach Bennett accepted the contract extension, but he refused the salary increase. In fact, he said, I want the money that you've set aside for a salary increase, I want you to pay my staff more. And then I want you to also look, improve all of the other athletic pro uh, programs. You know, we hear about the basketball and the football but we don't hear about the lacrosse team or the, or, or the women's softball team as much. And, or, or, you know, and he said, I want all the programs to benefit from this. I don't want to benefit. My wife and I are fine, and we have great peace about this decision. That is an example of goodness. That is generous, gracious generosity. You see, too, all too often, though, when we think generosity, we limit it to, the, to our means. Uh, we limit it to giving money away, being generous with our money. And, and there's, there's a principle that in the Bible. And the promise we have in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 9, 8 is when we're generous, God promises to meet our needs. But I don't think we should restrict goodness and generosity to money. You see, we need to be graciously generous with all things. And so I would add we need to be graciously generous with our time. Some have said that in this information age, time is our most precious commodity. It takes time to listen to a friend who's struggling. It takes time and physical effort to help somebody move. It takes time to stop and give someone a hand when their car is having trouble. It takes time to give someone a ride to the airport or to an appointment or something. It takes time. And here's what God is teaching me repeatedly. When I am graciously generous with my time, I serve a God who helps me redeem the time that is spent. God is able to also give me the wisdom to discern how much time I have available to give. God is able to help me to discern when my generosity of time is truly helping someone and when it could be crippling enablement and not really helping them at all. And I need God to give that to me because I get goodness and not goodness mixed up. But when I exercise my goodness in being generous with my time, I can humbly trust God for the wisdom to use it wisely. We need to be generously gracious, graciously generous. How, how do I know that I'm practicing the generous aspect of goodness in a way that truly reflects God? I need to be generous with my talent my abilities. Ephesians 2.10 again. If God, if God thought about me and enabled me to good works that he planned for me to do, who am I to hold back on the talent and abilities I have? 
Now, I'm not going to go into a litany of projects and things to do and make you feel guilty, say, okay, I'll fill that gap. I, that, that, that doesn't solve. I've, I've done the guilt thing before. When you guilt somebody into serving, they will serve as long as until they feel like they've assuaged their guilt and then they quit, and then they don't raise their hand again. God gives us abilities and purpose. And if God in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 loves a cheerful giver, speaking of money, don't you think it stands to reason that God loves a cheerful giver who gives of their time, a cheerful giver who gives willingly of their talents and their abilities? God wants us to be generous because that is the essence of his goodness. God loved us so much he gave. Now, how do I know? How do I know I'm practicing goodness in a way that reflects God? I, I'm sure there's a bunch of answers to that question. Here's one that came up as I began to think about it and pray about it. I said, God, how do we know? What's the measuring stick? And it came to me, one of the measuring sticks is you don't keep accounts. What do I mean by that? Don't make a list of the good deeds that you did this week. Just do them. I get it. You get a giving statement every year. Don't sit there and hold that up and kind of just be humbly thankful that you had the means to give. Don't keep accounts. Don't keep a list. Don't make it a trophy, a conversation. Well, yeah, this week I... Uh, don't, don't, no, don't, don't make it your... Don't make it about you. Don't keep a, a list of all of your talents that you've exercised. Just do the next thing that you know God puts in front of you to do. It's really not hard. Goodness is not a well-defined list of activities. Goodness is simply an awareness of the reality of God's grace in our lives. You see, when I'm aware of God's gracious presence in my life because I've put my faith in the work of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins, and by doing that I'm now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, I, I'm humble before God. As we sang earlier, God, you deserve the greater glory. I come to the King empty-handed. I bring nothing to the cross but my broken, sinful self. And I understand that and accept that only God is fully good in his character. I don't derive my goodness from something great I did. I derive my goodness in my life from the God who is gracious to me. And I can live a good and generous life that reflects that grace because of God's grace in me. All those years ago, that young man walked into a church in north-central Indiana. And I knew that he was growing in his understanding of the reality and the grace of God in his life. You see, I had seen it. I had watched him. I had seen him with young campers, and I had seen him with his other staff. I could say with confidence to his future mother-in-law, he's a good man. And by God's grace, he still is. When the fruit of the Spirit 
is evident in our lives, it will be seen. Others will see that evidence. And one of the ways it's seen is when we are characterized as people who are good. Goodness that is the reality of God's grace in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Father, thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a God who loves us with an everlasting love, with a covenant loyalty love. Thank you for infusing your goodness into us. Thank you for loving us who we are, but thank you for loving us so much that you have given us gifts, talents, abilities, time, so that we can use it for your glory. May we be people who reflect the goodness of God because of your grace through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.